Hello, hello, and welcome again to our daily devotionals. Hope all of you are off to a great week so far. I know I am. Before we jump in today, I just want to mention uh, something briefly about time. I would encourage anyone who's looking to go deeper with God through Bible reading to establish a regular rhythm and uh, a regular time as part of that to do so. Uh, This may be more of a practical point than a theological one, but I do know that uh, the gospel writer Luke tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Uh, Being a Jew, he was immersed in Jewish culture, and as such, he would have recited scripture from the Torah at the same time every day. He would have uh, participated in daily prayers at regular repeated times. He would have weekly gone to the temple, the Jewish place of worship, and to the synagogue, the Jewish place of religious teaching. Every one of us lives with regular rhythms and patterns. Uh, Meals, for example, keep our bodies nourished. Showing up for work during open hours is a great way to help us stay employed. Breaking from work on the weekends helps us get ready uh, and refresh to do it all over again come Monday. If you want to go deeper with God, one way to help yourself do so is to find a regular time every day to read and to reflect on his word um, and to ask God how it's going to inform your life. It's like mining for a precious resource in the ground, right? You, you don't move the drill around, you uh, set it in one place and, and you, you keep it stable there. And day after day after day, you drill. And, and there may not appear to be much progress made, uh, certainly over an hour, maybe even after an entire day of drilling. But the focus and the consistency is what leads to the breakthrough, to that moment when you receive what it is that you've been seeking. So I encourage you to own your time. Uh, Make a decision today about how you will invest it and go deeper with God tomorrow. Hopefully that all makes sense. Uh, But either way, let's get to today's reading. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for this time, for this moment that you've given us to receive from you. We give you our full attention now and ask for clarity Uh, as we seek to understand what it is that you're saying to us. Draw close to us as we draw close to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be reading all of Genesis chapter 6. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of all men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. 
but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the, Lord, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So, Noah, so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away for food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. My sense is that this passage puts many of us in an interesting situation because on the one hand, it's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. If any of us went to church as a child, then chances are we've heard this story and maybe even colored a picture of the art filled with animals. On the other hand, it is incredibly fanciful to our modern Western, some would say enlightened minds, right? Educated people just can't read this account and actually believe it, can they? Perhaps they can't, but I consider myself to be an educated modern person, and I find much that this passage has to offer. Of particular note for me is the heart of God and the challenge of faith. First, the heart of God. Now, do you, how do you read verses 6 and 7? The Lord regretted that he had made human beings, and his heart was deeply troubled. God was sad. We might even say that he was heartbroken in this moment. You see, I think we are constantly tricked into thinking about activity when we think about God. Activity in terms of right and wrong, good and bad behavior, when instead we should be thinking about identity. Of course, God was upset that men were marrying anyone that they chose, probably multiple women, if we read between the lines. And the text tells us that their violence bothered him in particular. But I think that these evil behaviors were the symptom rather than the cause. They were secondary compared to a deeper, more fundamental problem. The problem that they had assumed God's identity and in the process forsaken their own identity. God made people and his commands were boundaries to keep them flourishing. We read all about this in Genesis uh, chapters one and two, 
but then beginning with Adam and Eve in chapter 3, people doubted his intentions for him. They doubted that God was good and assumed his position as God in their own lives, ignoring his commands and, and, and doing whatever they felt was best for themselves. The problem was that this approach inherently fostered their own destruction. Humans left the flourishing fields that were bound in by his commands and exchanged them for a sort of never-ending wild west, uh, a wild west in which anything goes, but it's also every man for himself. Eat or be eaten, take or be taken, kill or be killed. I think more than being angry about all the bad things that people were doing, he was heartbroken that they had left him. God was sad for them. He was sad that they stopped believing in his goodness, stopped believing that he wanted to care and to provide for them, stopped believing that he had made them. And they assumed his position, a position that they were not designed to fulfill. The Lord's response was to start over. At first, he said that he would destroy the entire human race, but then he relents and sets Noah and his family apart to be alone as the bearers of the responsibility for representing a new humanity. It's interesting for me to think about how this conversation between God and Noah that we read in verses 13 to 21 went down. I don't know if God was a voice in the clouds or a voice in Noah's mind, if he was a vivid, unescapable dream, or maybe just a feeling in his gut that he couldn't shake. But no matter what it was, can you imagine being presented with this call? And yet, amidst all the opportunities for doubt, verse 22 tells us that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Faith, believing without seeing, more specifically, believing in God without being sure that his words will actually come true. Verse 9 shows us that this is what defined Noah. Noah was a righteous man, that is, a man in right relationship to God. Verse 9 also tells us that he was a pretty good guy, right? Blameless. Uh, but he was blameless compared to the other people of the time. And I imagine that most of us would have fit that description based on the evil and wickedness that characterized everybody else. I certainly don't believe that Noah was perfect. But, but even more than that, I don't believe that being good was what made him righteous in God's sight. Uh, no, I believe that in contrast to the rest of the world, Noah kept God as God. He knew that he was a created being who was utterly reliant on the creator for every breath that he took. He was humble before God. He gave God the honor he deserved. He, he wasn't perfect, but he was in right relationship with God. And part of being in right relationship meant walking by faith, by trusting him, even when it was confusing, even when the rest of the world was heading in a different direction. This is the great challenge of faith, right? Whether it's building a, a boat on the ground when there's no water for miles or not gossiping, even though all your friends do, not cheating on your taxes, even though you know where all the loopholes are, 
having boundaries on what you listen to or what you look at, even though the culture tells you that anything goes. Every day, God calls the faithful to build an ark. And every day, the world challenges them to lay down their tools and just join the party. Who is he anyway? He'll love you no matter what. Live free and be happy, man. Just be you. Jesus said that there are two roads in life and only two. One is wide and it leads to destruction. And Jesus said that many go down it. Another one he said is narrow and few people go down that one. But it's the road that leads to life. It's a road of faith, a road that's easy to doubt and to detour from when we forget the identity of God and his love for us. Yet it's not an impossible road. Throughout human history, many have walked down it, believing that God is who he says he is, and they cheer us on as we choose to do so too. Where are you right now with this issue of faith? I encourage you to take some time today and consider how this passage and commentary apply to you. How do you sense God inviting you to trust him and take your next step of faith along the narrow road? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the example of Noah and for the many examples that come to our minds of people who have uh, honored you and obeyed you, even though it was difficult. We ask for the same help and the same strength that you gave them um, as they gave you their yes. Uh, Show us, God, show each of us where our yes needs to be today. We thank you for Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of faith uh, for those who believe. And it's in his character and identity that we pray. Amen.